So our sermon text this morning is Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31, we're looking at the whole chapter, 55 verses. Can we manage it? Before we read that, we'll pray and then we'll read, the, read, the, uh, read that text. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for your word, the Holy Scriptures. We pray, our Father, that it would be impressed upon us that these indeed are the very words of God. And may we be given ears to hear, eyes to see and humble, meek hearts that are obedient and willing to do that which you command us. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 31, starting at verse 1. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favour as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Verse 22. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me 
and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom, you'll find, with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Verse 36. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house, I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sehadutha, but Jacob called it Gilead. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Gilead and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac, 
And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Well, here we are. We're Christians. We believe in Jesus. We're living in 2022. And all of this stuff happened roughly near enough to 4,000 years ago. Does it seem in any way relevant? Does it seem to make any kind of sense to any of us? Well, we only need to think about it. We only need to think about it and we only need to think about what is happening here. Ask, I ask you, first of all, this question. In the, in the time when we're, when we're um, reading of this narrative in the life of Jacob, where and what was the visible church? And the visible church at that time was Jacob and his family. Now, what's happening to the visible church? The visible church is being blessed and strengthened by God. And what's happening amongst those who are not part of the visible church? They hate and are jealous of the blessings that God is laying upon his people. And what do they do? They pursue and attack the visible church. Now, remember this in in biblical terms. I put this to you in biblical terms. You could think of it this way. This is a Hebrew way of seeing this. The Messiah is in the loins of Jacob. Jacob is from whom the Messiah will descend. Messiah will descend. And Laban, well, he's motivated by something else. Who's motivating Laban? In the end, what did it turn out was the biggest deal in the sight of Laban? He'd lost a thing which in the scripture is called the teraphim, his household gods, his household idols. The word that's spoken a few times in the scripture, it's, it's said that um, your scriptures, if you're reading the um, New King James, stolen, you have stolen my goods, or in uh, my ESV it says you have tricked me. This is the complaint of Laban when he um, accuses Jacob, you have tricked me. It, it literally says that, looking at, let's, for example, Genesis 31, verse 20, my reading, and Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. What it literally says is, Jacob stole the heart of Laban the Aramean. He stole the heart. Now, if someone's stolen your heart, well, sometimes we think of that in romantic terms, you know, Someone's stolen their heart. Someone's fallen in love with somebody else. They've stolen their heart. They control their heart. But it's actually not really a good phrase in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 6, exactly the same phrase is used of David's rebellious son, Absalom. Thus, Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Stirred up, turned them to evil. Now, Jacob did not know what Rachel had done. It's made very clear to us. He did not know that Rachel took these teraphim, these idols, these household gods. He had no idea. But in taking his flocks, his families, and in his family, Rachel taking those teraphim, 
Laban's heart was stolen, turned aside to wickedness, turned aside to disobedience. And Laban approaches and verbally attacks Jacob in whose loins, remember, we could say in the Jewish way of thinking, in whose loins is the Messiah. And what's one of Laban's boasts? Verse 43, which we've just read of Genesis chapter 31. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. What's that? That's a boastful and deceitful claim. Was there a contract between Jacob and Laban? There was. There were two. They ran consecutively. Seven years per wife. Had Jacob fulfilled the terms of the contract? Yes, he had. He had completely fulfilled the terms of the contract. So I want you to think of something that somebody else said. I'll read it to you and then you you might make the connection. This is from Luke. I'm using Luke chapter 4 and verse 6. You know who's speaking, but I'll just read it. To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. Who was speaking? The devil. What was he claiming? Everything that you see is mine. It's all mine. And I share it if I want to share it. You get the idea now? This boastful attacking claim upon the people of God. I own it. I rule over it. It's all mine. I do as I please. You're at my mercy. And so now are you starting to get the picture that I'm trying to build for us? We have the church and the church is under the attack of the evil one. And that evil one in this instance is manifested through the person Laban. Jacob has finally realised the character of Laban. You know, it turns out this marriage contract that he entered into when he first met his uh, now father-in-law, it turns out that culturally, according to the law and the culture of the day, he was on the burnt end of the stick. He got, he got the worst of the deal. In a, in a normal marriage, according to the culture and the law of the day, if there was to be any price negotiated for the right to marry the bride, that was always carried out by a third party, never by the young man seeking the bride. Somebody else negotiated on his behalf so that that person could basically get involved in the horse trading and if it got particularly heated, well, the girl or girls in question in this case did not have to hear the, 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 the potential groom arguing about what they're worth. You know, it was sort of meant to be somewhat polite. Jacob was supposed to be off in the background. His representative was supposed to be arguing with Laban and they were supposed to come to some kind of agreed price. And then Laban was supposed to freely hand his daughter in this case, daughters to the groom with a dowry to help them start a new household. Jacob was supposed to marry girls with something. They were supposed to come to him 
with something. They got their maidservants, but they did not get their dowry. If you look at the complaint of the girls, Genesis chapter 31, verse 14, you realise they're perfectly aware of this. Listen to what they say. Jacob has called them aside to the field to have this secret conversation with them, to find out if they were taking the same point of view that he was taking. And here's what they say. Is there any portions or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. What's their complaint? He married us off, but he didn't give us a dowry. And you, when you worked for him for 14 years, made him a wealthy man, and he still didn't give us a dowry. He still didn't build up our family. He wasted it all upon himself. Jacob and now the daughters of Laban have started to realise what kind of man it is they're dealing with. Now, Last week, we saw that Jacob made that very public deal with Laban. Okay, I'll remain your shepherd. These animals are to be my animals, the speckled, the spotted and the dark coloured. And Laban said, fine. And what did he do? That very day, the instant instant that they came to that agreement, he took all the speckled, the spotted and the dark coloured out of the flocks and moved them away and left them with his sons, thinking, "I'll I'll sort Jacob out. This kid's a fool. I had him the first time when I got him to work for 14 years for two girls for whom I haven't even had to give him a cent. <laughs> and I'll have him a second time. He's, gonna, he's going to work now for the least, uh, the least numerous of the flock and I'm going to make absolutely certain he gets nothing. But we saw that Jacob, in faith, trusted God to bless his work. And God did so. But every time that Laban realised what was happening, he changed the agreement. The spotted shall be your wages. And then the flock bore spotted sheep. And then he said, well, the striped, no longer the spotted, let's go for the striped. And what do you know? The flock bore striped. Apparently he did this ten times. Every time things didn't seem to be going his way, he did it. Now, Sheep and goats, they breed twice a year. They come, on, they come on season and they breed twice a year. So basically, every lambing season, every season in which the goats drop their kids, he saw that it favoured Jacob and called a meeting and said, look, I'm not really happy about the arrangement that we've had and I'm changing it now. Jacob trusted in the Lord and Jacob let it happen. He continued to trust in God and Notice what Jacob says. He says, um, God came to me in a dream and I saw that it was God himself making certain that the offspring were bringing wealth to us, not to Laban. This is God who has given it to us. And his wives say, we're with you. We've realised there's a difference between you and our father. Our father is a selfish, beastly man. He does not actually love his own family. You know, In all honesty, what kind of parent does not love their own family enough to bless them? What kind of parent does not love their own children enough to bless them? And the scripture tells you that 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 parent is selfish and unworthy of the children. Even the Gentiles love their own families. They were the words of Jesus. And here's Laban. 
As far as Laban's concerned, it's all for him. Rachel steals, Rachel steals, sneaks into the house and steals the household gods. Now, what's that all about? Okay, there's a few things probably going on here and we're not actually told all of the details, but this is the way it would look. There were, according to the culture and according to the times, there, there was a way in which the possession of certain gods or certain idols which had been handed down through the family functioned kind of like what we would call a title. The possession of those proved that you were the rightful heir of the family and it's possible that Rachel, I would say passed a little bit spitefully, basically wanted to take away everything that she knew her father valued. And basically by taking those, she's taken away even his claim to being the rightful head of and representative of the family. But this word, teraphim, it's used in another place in the scriptures. I'll just read you the verse. Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 21. It's speaking of the king of Babylon as he comes down at the um, prompting of God to invade nations. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways, to use divination. He shakes the arrows. He consults the teraphim. He looks at the liver. Exactly the same word. He consults the teraphim. And remember that it was Laban who, in the last passage we looked at, said, I have found out by divination that it is through you that God has blessed me. So to Laban... These are his status symbols. They are, we would call them his good luck charms. You know, these are his magic eight ball. These are the things that he thinks he gets answers from. You know, when he's seeking guidance, do I sow wheat? Do I sow rye? Let's consult the teraphim, etc., etc., etc. He thinks that this is the thing that makes him who he is, and Rachel steals them. We're supposed to actually notice something here about these gods. We're supposed to notice that they're utterly powerless. Even though Laban values them, even though Laban understands that it is Jacob's God who has blessed Jacob and his gods have utterly failed to protect him, Yet even so, he still trusts his idols. Okay, just because people know the truth does not mean they have converted. Just because people know the truth does not mean that they have converted. It does not mean that they have submitted to God. It does not mean that they have surrendered to God's will. It does not mean that their hearts have been changed and they've called on God for salvation. Laban had a demonstration of the power of God right in front of his very eyes, and he knew that it was the power of God, yet he still cared more about his idols. And we're being shown here that his idols are completely and utterly useless. His idols are completely and utterly useless. They're not to be respected. They're actually totally disrespected. Where do we get that? Well, When Laban goes searching through the tents, searching for his idols, what does he find? 
He finds nothing. The idols are hidden under Rachel's rear end. And Rachel claims that it's that time of the month for a woman. The idols are hidden under Rachel's Rachel's rear end and Rachel claims that it's that time of the month. To the Jew, to the Jew reading this text, what are you being told? Because think of Jewish law. Now, I'll just read you a verse from Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. This supposed God that is able to help Laban decide the future, that is able to help Laban decide what his path is supposed to be, this supposed God that could not stop Jacob being blessed. This supposed God is now hidden under the rear end of a woman who is claiming that it's that time of the month. To the Jew, this is utterly hilarious. To the faithful Jew, this is an absolute insult to that idol. The idol is nothing. It says many times in the scripture concerning idols, they're made by the hands of men. They cannot hear. They cannot see. They cannot speak. And all who put their trust in them become like the idols in which they trust. How would you describe the society in which we live at the moment? Um, Is our nation getting smarter and wiser around us? Or does every day reveal to us some new level of incredible stupidity? If their minds are becoming stone-like, if they're losing the ability to hear the truth, see the truth, understand and obey the truth, what are they becoming like? They're becoming like their idols. They're becoming like that in which they put their trust. What's destroying Australia? Idolatry. Hatred of the living God. Following after false gods. And even though the works and the power of the living God are all around about us and open to us, yet they refuse to receive the truth. They're not going to take their hand off the magic eight ball. Do you know what I mean when I say that? It's, it's the silly toy. You shake it up. It looks like a, uh, an eight ball from a billiard table. And it's got a little clear window in it. And every time you shake it, some new message appears in the little window. Should I go to town? Shake the eight ball. It might say yes. It might say no. It might say something else. Not today. Whatever. The magic eight ball. We live in a world that's trusting magic eight balls. Trusting their education. Trusting their science. Now stop. Scotty, you're saying no one should get educated and science is stupid. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what is being called science is not science. It's a narrative being pushed upon us by the media in the name of science. And you've only got to consider this fact, that there are people who now think that it's a good idea to sterilise and mutilate 12 and 13-year-old children in the name of transgenderism. This did not exist 35 or 40 years ago. It just simply did not exist. And this does not exist in poverty-struck countries where if you don't work, you don't eat. You've got to be wealthy. 
You've got to have time on your hands and you've got to have the ability to take in enormous amounts of stupidity and let that stupidity become your worldview. You know, if, if this thing had not been discovered for 2,000 years, why did it just suddenly come into being? And why is it now suddenly the, um, the status quo, the thing against which you're not allowed to speak? Why? Because our nation is given over to our idolatry, our people refuse to receive the truth, and God is blinding their eyes. God is handing them over to a powerful deception. It's in Thessalonians that God hands his people over to a, not his people, God hands the unbelievers over to a powerful deception when they refuse to receive and believe the truth. The idolaters become ever more foolish and the idolaters become ever more angry against those whom God does bless. This is the longest speech at verse 36 down to verse 42. This is the longest speech from Jacob that we get in all of Scripture. And in it, Jacob speaks of the fact that in his service of Laban, he has not been a cheat. Think of it. He was a cheat in his own father's household. In the eyes of Esau, he's the cheat of all cheats, the the ultimate deceiver. But Jacob... On his trip from the land of Canaan to the home of Laban, the Aramean, remember, he met God. God met him. God came to Jacob. God changed Jacob. So Jacob comes to Laban's household and basically in his exuberance enters into a marriage deal that was not good, that was not culturally appropriate and was not the normally done thing, but he does so. And he works according to his commitments. He then works a further six years. Did he cheat? I say no. Why do I say no? Because it was God who made. We're told it's clearly here. He's given a vision. It doesn't matter what it looks like upon the earth. As far as God is concerned, whatever it is that Jacob is supposed to get, those are the males that are breeding with the flock. If Jacob is supposed to get the spotted, the males are spotted. If Jacob is supposed to get the striped, the males are striped. If Jacob is supposed to get the dark coloured, the males are dark coloured. It's God's decision. It was God who was blessing Jacob. Jacob prayed, Jacob hoped, Jacob stood back and let God do the work. So Laban comes charging in. Jacob gets a week away from home and Laban comes charging in. Now, my friends, I want you to think about this as the promises of the world. Think of it in this way. Verse 25, Laban overtook Jacob. He got past Jacob. He kind of got in front of Jacob. I think there was sort of this surprising moment. Jacob is travelling from the east to the west and he would have expected Laban to be behind him, back to his east. But it says that Laban overtook Jacob. He got in front of him. So Jacob and family have got their face set towards the west 
and what do they see but Laban and kinsmen, Laban and his tribe of men charging towards them from the west. Confrontation. You know, that, 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 that smart look that someone has when they think they've fooled you. You weren't expecting to see me here, were you? And here I am, right in the middle of the road. What are you going to do next? Laban comes in to Jacob. Listen to the accusation. What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? (laughs) What have you done? You've tricked me. You've stolen my heart was the word he used. What have you done that you've stolen my heart and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and steal my heart and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre? Now, my friends, I don't think Laban was ever under any circumstances going to bless Joseph, I mean Jacob, with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre. I don't think Laban was ever going to spend money on Jacob. I don't think he was ever going to bless him. I don't think he ever had any plans of giving him a parting gift or even giving him so much as a party for one night. And look at what he says about his girls. How could my girls have ever left me? I am just the most wonderful father upon the face of the earth. If you get my daughters to walk away from me, what you must have done is pointed a sword at their throat. That's what it took. I am just the greatest father upon the face of the earth and even though my girls are married to you, there's no way they would have chosen to go with you. You forced them to it. Come on. This is the world speaking to us all around about us, my friends. Why don't you just be like us? Why don't you just do things our way? We'll bless you. You can be one of us. We'll have a great time. You can party. You'll enjoy your life. You know, it's all great. Do it my way. And we'll have fun on the highway. Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Listen to the boast in that. Who who is he calling his sons? Jacob's sons. Jacob has the sons. What's Laban saying? I own them. They're mine. My girls gave birth to them. They're mine. He's refusing to recognise that Jacob is a separate man at the head of his own household. You know, what's the commandment of Scripture concerning marriage? The man shall separate himself from his father and his mother, and the two shall become one flesh. The scripture in, the commandment in Scripture concerning marriage is that each household is to be a self-governing unit with God placing the authority in the hands of the man. And then he's to delegate that authority. Husband and wife, a one flesh union. And Laban refuses to even recognise that Jacob is at the head of his own family. You know, this is bluster. This is worldly talk. This is an attempt to frighten him, to strike fear into his heart. Verse 29, it is in my power to do you harm. You're one man. You've got some boy children. You've got some wives. Maybe by this time he had a few servants. Look at me. I've got a tribe. There's me. There are those with me who the scripture calls his sons. 
They may have been his sons. They may have been others who are of his family. He was at the head of a group. I can do you harm, but you're lucky because the God of your father spoke to me last night. Being Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now, remember my point. This guy is an idolater. He has been confronted by the living God. He has been commanded by the living God. And all he cares about is where are my idols? Where are my statues? Where are my teraphim? You know, to someone who's a believer, it's kind of impossible to understand that, isn't it? I mean, think of it. If somehow or other, whether it were in a dream or a vision or whatever, if somehow or other God himself spoke to you in a voice that was in some way audible, you as a believer would be strengthened in faith. This would become your overriding ideal, whatever it is that God has commanded. Your faith would be built up. But the idolater, he's had God speak to him and he's not even remotely interested. All I want is my idols back. I don't want any much, anything much more to do with this God of yours. Give me my idols. You've got them. I know you've got them and I want to get out of here. Jacob speaks concerning the idols. No one's taken them. And then he gets angry. What is, why have you come here accusing me? Why do you speak to me like this? My friends, when you're accused, it is good to be in the right. In other words, what I'm telling you to do is to be careful of what you do, how you do it, what you say, whom you say it to. You can't answer the world back straight to its face if you do not have some kind of integrity and honesty within you. Okay, there's there's no good um, telling the world that it's wrong when they can look at your own life and say, but you live just like we do. You say we're wrong, but there's absolutely no difference in anything that you do. Jacob, in his anger, points out Laban's dishonesty and his own honesty. I have worked in all honesty. I have done more than is required of me. He speaks of the fact that even if a wild beast got at the flock and destroyed it, he paid for it himself. Now that, according to the law and the culture of the time, there are documents around about, that was not standard practice. If a wild beast killed an animal, the shepherd took the slaughtered animal or the killed animal to its owner and explained... A lion got amongst the flock. A wolf got amongst the flock. And that's why this one's dead. Sorry, nothing I could do about it. Jacob never, ever did that. On the odd occasion that it happened, Jacob made good the loss. So he's saying I was more than honest. I was more than hardworking. I took this to the nth degree. I went the extra mile for you. You are the cheat. You are the liar. At verse 43, Laban makes the boast that we've already seen. The daughters are my daughters, the children my children, the flocks my flocks, and all that you see is mine. In other words, he still does not want to recognise Jacob as a separate entity, as a man at the head of his own household, as someone who has some kind of legal standing. You see what his plan was? Forever and ever, 
Make Jacob the slave. Make Jacob the slave. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a saying going around. You might have heard it. There's someone who said, you will have nothing and you will be happy. Make Jacob the slave. Make sure Jacob gets nothing. Probably he was thinking that he was going to select from amongst one of those children that Jacob had fathered, someone to inherit the family, to inherit the family wealth. Make sure that Jacob never, ever gets out of this. But at verse 44, having been warned by God, having been warned by God, he says, "Okay, we will strike an agreement. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Interestingly, just just something to see here between Jacob and Laban. The scripture is very clear. Verse 46, Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. Whose idea was this, a more modern word, can, this site of remembrance, this pile of stones? Whose idea was it? Jacob's. Who gave the order? Jacob. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Look down at verse 51. This is Laban. This is the man of the world. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. (laughs) Jacob did it. Laban says I did it. Jacob set it up. Laban says I set it up. Jacob gave it its meaning. Laban says I give it its meaning. You know, there's just, this is a greedy, grasping, selfish man. He can't stand the thought that someone else might have something without his permission. Everything that he sees, he considers it to be his own. He saw Jacob come up with the idea and set the first stone in place. And as far as he's concerned, I did it. This is the world. My friends, we will never give the world enough. If we start that compromise, it will never finish. We will never surrender enough. They claim that everything is theirs. They claim that everything comes under their rule, their power, their authority. They do not recognise any distinctions. But God sets distinctions in place. So they set up a pillar and they strike a covenant. And the agreement basically is that we will not come past this point to do harm one to another. And then Laban goes through the, um, you know, I think it's the show, the show of acting like the affronted father, you know. You know, it's, you know, you, you marry a daughter off and you worry about the young man that she's marrying and, and you know, you, you sort of wish that he would respect you. I'm speaking from experience. And, look, don't get me wrong, my daughter's married a Christian guy and I'm very happy for them, don't get me wrong, but you worry sometimes, you worry Who's she marrying and what's he going to be like? But I don't think Laban was that much of a good dad. I think Laban, you know, the daughters are complaining that he didn't even give us a dowry. You know, that's that's insulting in that day. It's terrible. Verse 49, he says, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, God is witness between you and me. He's, he's now acting as though all I really cared about was the welfare of my girls. I, I, just, I just really cared about the welfare of my girls, Jacob. It's nothing personal. <laughs> Once again, the world boasting of its goodness, 
the world boasting of its righteousness. My friends, think of what God has done in the life of Jacob and think of what it is that God continues to do in the life of Jacob. From the time that God revealed himself to Jacob at Bethel, when Jacob saw the ladder and he saw God at the head of the ladder, of the ladder, ruling over the earth, sending forth angels to accomplish his purposes. From that time on, Jacob is a man whom God is transforming. God is in the business of changing us. Okay, the gospel is for everyone. Wherever, the, wherever, wherever that person is found, they can be converted on the spot. You don't repent before you're converted. You repent because you have been converted. The gospel is indeed for prostitutes, drug addicts and drug dealers. It's for anyone. But God does not leave his people where he finds them. Jacob may have been a deceiver, but Jacob is going to become a prince in the service of God. And God is in the business of transforming Jacob. And Jacob was faithful and obedient to God, even in the face of a cheat. Laban is a cheat, a dishonest, selfish, grasping cheat, a man who cannot even do the right thing by his own flesh and blood. That's the kind of man that Laban is. Think of, once again, I just stress this point, the foolishness of idolaters. The works of God displayed before their very face, their own idols and good luck charms come to nothing and fail, and yet it's not so easy for them to let go of the idols. They just keep going back to that which has failed them before. Why? Well, the God who changed Jacob's heart from Jacob the deceiver into Jacob the prince in the sight of God. That God has to change the heart of any idolater. And if he does not change the heart, the man remains, the woman remains, the child remains exactly as they are. Indeed, no one stays exactly as they are. We're all being prepared for our eternal destination. We're all being prepared for eternity. Those who are in Christ are being prepared for an eternal life in the presence of Christ. We're being made more and more like that which God desires us to be. We're being transformed from the inside to the outside. We're being made obedient to the will of God. I'm not saying there are no stumbles. I'm not saying there are no falls. I'm not saying there are no failures. Outright failures, there are. I think of a pastor I know who strayed. Ran off with a girl, the age of one of his daughters. People keep saying to me, is he a Christian? And I keep answering, how can I know? But can a Christian sin like that? And my answer is actually, sadly, yes. King David could. He was a believer. God's sweet psalmist of Israel wrote a massive portion of our Old Testament, wrote the psalm that we're about to sing. Yes. How would we know if he's a Christian? You'll know if he's a Christian because ultimately if he belongs to God, if he is in Christ, he will be made to repent. And he will become a better and a humble man in his repentance. That's how we know. We know it by the workings of God. We who are in Christ are being transformed and prepared for eternal life in the presence of God. And those who will not accept the demands of God's truth, 
For the gospel goes forth as a command. Now, does that mean we order people to repent? No, it does not. The Apostle Paul pleaded with people and we can plead with people. We can plead with people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek the forgiveness of their sins. We can plead, but ultimately it does go forth as a command. God sends it forth as a command. Trust in the Lord Jesus, seek the forgiveness of your sins and repent. Repent of your sins in Jesus' name. When people refuse to acknowledge the commandment of God, their heart is continually hardened. And unless God is gracious, who can reverse this hardening process? God. Can a person refuse, deny for a period of time and then ultimately God breaks their heart, breaks their will and makes them willing? And the answer to that question is yes, it is certainly possible. People can be converted. People can repent upon the cross. Certainly, there is no such thing as someone for whom hope should be abandoned. Always have hope. Always share the gospel in hope. But remember this, ultimately, God and God alone has the power of granting life where once there was death. God and God alone has the power of bringing life. It doesn't matter how many arguments we win. It doesn't matter how much it is demonstrated that we are the people of God. In terms of conversions, it doesn't matter. It is important. It is important. We should be able to, um, as Peter says, render an apologetic for that which we believe. We have a hope in our heart. The hope in our heart is that Jesus is Lord, that everyone shall honour Jesus as the Son of God, the eternally begotten Son of God. And we ought to be able to render a reason for the hope that is in our heart. It is important. And it's important that we be able to speak clearly about what we believe and on occasion perhaps defend it. It is important. But ultimately, it's God who changes the heart. doesn't matter how smart we are, how good we are at preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter how winning we are. If God does not do the work, the work will not be done. It is beyond the grip or the ability of humanity. We're servants. We're being used by Jesus to build his church, but we're not the builders. It's as simple as that. Laban remained in his sins. All Laban wanted was his idols. He wanted his little worldly kingdom. And as far as he was concerned, if I have that, I'm happy. A blustering, greedy and unpleasant man. He reflects on his God. I'll just make just a couple of a couple of very small points here. Notice by the end of the story the, the symbols of their separation. The symbols of their separation. By whom does Laban swear? Verse 53. Laban swears by the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor. The God of Nahor. Well, that's, that's the region, the town from which he comes. The God of Nahor is the God whom his teraphim supposedly put him in touch with. He's a God-conscious, pagan, idolatrous heathen. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor. Who does Jacob swear by? Jacob swears by the fear of his father, Isaac. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, he will also now be called the God of Jacob. 
Jacob does not swear by the God of Nahor. My friends, it is not for us to recognise the gods of this world. We live under the sight of one God, the fear of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And just one other little thing to notice, and I think it's somewhat significant. Laban and Jacob, when it comes to this stone heap, they use different words to say the same thing. Laban chooses to name it in his own native tongue. Laban called it Jagar Sayadutha, but Jacob called it Gilead. There's a difference between us and the world around about us. We use words, they use words. Some of the words they use sound like some of the words that we use. But we use the words that God has given us and we use those words according to the definitions that God has given them. Our language, our very language, should be one of the things that sets us apart from the world around us. When we speak of holy things, we should speak of these things in the way that God himself speaks of them, with reverence and fear, and not let the world set the agenda. Let's close in prayer, my friends. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word, the Holy Scriptures. We thank you for the children that you have given to us, and we acknowledge that they are your children, and you alone can make the boast that all that you see is yours. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are the one true living God and we pray that we would be truly your servants through Jesus Christ our Lord by the power of your Holy Spirit. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.